This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geeks, show number 232, recorded on September 24th, 2015. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, all three engines up and burning, 2, 1, 0, and liftoff, the final liftoff of Eclipse. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find News, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the Average Tech Guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the Average Guy.tv studios here in a beautiful Bellevue, Nebraska. We have had a run of, well, it's actually been raining. The beautiful weather is yet to come. And so, it, Mike, it's been raining so much, I'm tempted to build an ark. I mean, we, yeah, I think no, we've got yeah. six to nine inches of rain in the last 18 hours or so. It's been causing some localized flooding, but... This next week, they're promising 70s every day. So hopefully we'll have some. And great weather for the Husker game this weekend. Which yeah, I'm no, about, so. for sure. So, uh, of course, you can catch the show notes uh, out at theaverageguy.tv. Uh, if you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can contact the show. Send us an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv. Track me down on Twitter, at jcollison. A lot of you are doing that. Or reach us on the new talk.to. If you haven't been out to the site yet, you should check that out. Head out to theaverageguy.tv. Look for the red tab. It's on the bottom right-hand corner of the site. It says, Chat with Jim Now. If that's there, it means I'm sitting at my desk waiting for you to give me a ping. Don't do it right now, though. I can't answer it because I'm doing the show. But uh, most times, uh, just say chat, and that's a one-on-one chat with me. Mike, I actually had somebody ring me last night and ask me a question. Hey, which laptop is better to buy, this one or this one? And that's the kind of engagement that I'm looking for. That's a perfect, yeah, perfect way to use that. Talk.to, and so uh, really easy to use, free for anybody that wants to use it. You can uh, head over to Talk.to, create an account. They give you a little bit of code. You embed that in your website. You can any if you're if you got any kind of website, it doesn't have to be a podcast or a blog. Even you can have any website. Embed their code in there, and boom, you got it. We are or I am sporting the uh, Talk.to T-shirt tonight, and they sent a few. We'll get one over to Mike, and um, so we want to thank them. Give them a try. Talk. T-A-W-K.T-O. The Average Guy.TV's uh, platform, both web and media hosting, is also powered by Maple Grove Partners. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people you know. That's Christian, of course. For more information, visit maplegrovepartners.com. We also want to encourage you now to listen to Home Gadget Geeks on the new Android and iPhone. This wasn't even available two weeks ago, the last time we were going live. We now have both Android and iPhone apps available for you in both stores. So head out to either one. Search Home Gadget Geeks, it pops up. You'll see the logo that you're used to. Click on that, uh, install it to your device, and you will always have our most current show, including this live show. It's going on right now. We've we've quit Mixler. So Mixler was our way of doing live, and we're done with Mixler at this point. We're going to push everything on Spreaker. So if you're if you're one of the guys that listens to us live on a mobile device, really the best way to do this now is through our app. It's super easy to get to. Mike, you were mentioning just in, in your car, right? It's a click the app, find the it's live right page, there. and you're in. Yep. It's right there, which is super simple. And that's what you want on the mobile version on the app when you're listening live, especially if you're out and about and can't watch the video. It's the best solution. Yeah, not, not a lot of messing around. And so, again, head out to either one of those stores, search for Home Gadget Geeks, and uh, download. That is free if you want to give it. We want to say a big thanks to LastPass. They sponsored us on that, and they're on the app as well. And so, by the way, if you're not using LastPass, now free for mobile device. So if you want to get on, jump on. If you have an account with them, or if you don't have an account with them and you want to start mobile, free for mobile, or you can go on desktop, free for desktop, then it's $12 a year if you put the two together. So if you want access both on mobile and desktop at the same time, 
That'll get you twelve dollars a year, one dollars a month, one dollar a month. Super cheap, guys, to be able to get that done. LastPass. We want to thank them for sponsoring that. LastPass.com. You can actually catch if you want to skip all these announcements that I make in the very beginning, and I only spend about two minutes doing it, right? I'm, uh, I try to plow through them, but we've actually created a channel for you. It's called Home Tech Tips. And so this is, it's been out there for a while, but what I've started doing is pulling out just the interview or shorter segments. Tonight, Nathaniel is with us, by the way. Welcome, Nathaniel. Good evening. Good to have you. He's going to actually give us some really cool tips tonight. We're going to pull those out and jam them into Home Tech Tips. They'll be a couple weeks behind the podcast, but if you want to just get the tips and not have to listen to Jim go mumbo-jumbo, Maple Grove Partners, blah, blah, new app, blah, blah, blah. If you don't want to do that stuff, Head over to Home Tech Tips. It's at theaverageguy.tv. Just look at right below the fold. It's the yellow one that says Home Tech Tips. Shorter versions of it. If you're a regular listener to this, it will be duplicate. So a couple weeks later, you're going to hear it again. So no need to subscribe to both, although sometimes if you just want the tip, you might want to search there. Home Tech Tips. All the subscriptions options are available at theaverageguy.tv slash subscribe. And, of course, the Home Gadget Geeks is a part of the Geeks Network. Find the links to this show and many other great podcasts. And we got a bunch of them out there, including Mike's Open Mic Night out at thegeeksnetwork.com. All right, we got through all that stuff. We uh, we welcomed Mike. Mike, welcome again. Great to have you here. It's been like weird not having my Thursday night routine down. It's I haven't known what to do. So it's great it's, to be back in the routine. Yeah, it's yeah. good to have you back. It's going to get a little weirder because we're off. I think I'm off again next week. I'll have to check that schedule here for the end of the show and then it's just this is the time of the year that I have trouble. In fact, I know I won't be out here next week. So you're off again, and we'll throw some other stuff in the in the stream. But, yeah, this is recruiting season for me, and so I'm on the road, and it's just hard for me to make every single Thursday night. And then, uh, Nathaniel, I, we were trying to think when the last time we had you on. I think it's been early spring, late spring, something yeah, like that. Yeah, a couple months at least. Yeah. No, it's always good to have you on, and uh, you bring a fresh perspective to it. So Thank thanks you. for coming on. We're going to talk a little home automation, a little home security, some, some things when we talk about security, both a little bit of physical and a little bit of Internet security. One of the things I wanted to alert you to, though, is we did, or I did, a review on an Aneer LED spotlight that's available over in the review section at theaverageguy.tv. So we talked about it when it came out, but I thought it would fit nicely in here. Aneer had sent me a little light, four light LED, takes four D-cell batteries, gets 3,600 activations, and is completely wireless. So um, I've installed it in the garage, put the batteries in, screw it up. I mean, it, it literally is a five-minute install. It's motion sensitive, so anytime somebody comes into the garage, this would be a great security device around your home. Uh, it's actually weatherproof as well, although they don't recommend you pour water on it. But it is, uh, it's what it does. It's sealed up. The batteries are sealed up. Four D cell batteries, 36. I believe it is 3,600 activations available. It just means the light comes on. It comes on for about 30 seconds and then shuts itself off after motion is done. We installed it in the garage. Man, that has been a great little security light. And I actually put some crappy batteries in there, and they have done. It has done really, really well. It is not going to put a spotlight that'll. It's not. It's not the light of the sun, but it is enough to find your keys or not trip over something in the garage. So, if you haven't checked out that review, head over to theaverageguy.tv and just type in a near a n e a r spotlight, or go over to the review section and check that out. We also posted. We've had a couple guest writers lately, and uh, if you haven't been over to theaverageguy.tv, I know a lot of you guys just listen to me. On the, uh, on the feeds, but if you haven't been over to theaverageguy.tv, we just posted a new one, Four Unique Gadgets to Improve Your Home Life. And so check that out. We have a, we've got a couple guest writers coming in. Aaron Vaughn wrote this one. 
And uh, for whatever reason, Mike, I've attracted some folks who've come to me and said, hey, can we write some gadget blogs? There's some links back to some of the stuff they do, but uh, I don't know. If, hopefully you've gotten a chance to check out that article, and there's some interesting things. Things we've talked about, including locks, uh, when we talk about that, man, I, guys, this there's this whole new market of locks, of smart locks for your front door. Absolutely insane. I cannot believe some of the things that are coming out when we think about smart locks. That's a whole new... That's a whole new area of home automation that's just exploded. Nathaniel, have you thought at all about throwing smart locks yeah. on your on your home? Yeah, add it to the list of things I want to add. Thanks a lot. You know, I didn't have enough on my list of smart home additions, but actually, I would put mine on the back door. So if I were to get one, I would get a smart lock that has you know some sort of uh, a sensor or a proximity sensor or Bluetooth, so that I can come in from the garage back door. It's already open, and go in. In addition to a keypad and and multiple things, I've got. Uh, he's good. I mean, he's way. He's better. good. Yeah, he's good. But he's yeah, old. yeah, I would, I would definitely look into that um, on the back door because we don't use our front door as much, and so that's where I'd put it. Yeah, Tony Rayner said he installed a, a sledge. Is that how you pronounce that? No, Schlag, Schlag, right? Schlag lock for yeah. Iris on Tuesday. So there's the guys. You know, Home Depot, I guess, has this Iris set up, and I haven't really looked. I haven't been looking at that home automation space very much, but man, all of a sudden, the door lock, we're going to have the guys from, from Ring, yeah, Ring.com, coming on here, I think, in November, and they're going to talk about, they have a device, Mike Howard tipped me off to, that goes on the front door, that replaces your doorbell, and it's got some cloud monitoring as far as it's got a camera on it, and when somebody comes up, it starts sending pictures up to the cloud for you in case people are stealing packages off your front door or something like that, right? Um, but man, a huge explosion in when we think about door locks, just in that area of door locks. And of course, in that article, it's interesting. They talk about wireless charging. They, that has made they have made strides in wireless charging recently with cases and designs for that. And then here's what's even more interesting: this area of of, of uh, trash cans and recycling bins has gotten a little high tech in the last year or so. And so they have some bins that do some automatic stuff for you from a recycling standpoint. So. Check that out. Uh, the Again, a new writer, and uh, always appreciate your feedback over at TheAverageGuy.tv. All right, Nathaniel, you've got cool. some updates for us. You have been dropping in some smart things into your home, so let me throw it over to you. Sure. Yeah, well, um, I put in smart things a while back, and then I've been really slow and patient to put things in. Um, or you could say I haven't had much time to add things. But <laughs> one way or the other, I've been real slow and intentional. Um, I still have the version 1 hub, and I'm going to get the second generation hub, and I know I have to remove all the devices and add them back, but um, I don't have that many yet. No big um, worry there. And some of the smart apps I created early on aren't working or are missing when I did the upgrade to the app on the iPhone, so I'm not too concerned. Um, but I have some specific things I want to accomplish down the road. But what I did uh, most recently that I think would be interesting is uh, two things regarding uh, thermostats. So I have a um, just a generic smart thermostat that came with the security system that you can set schedules on and control with smart things. It's a CT radio standard um, white box thermostat, and it had been using batteries for months, and it would go through a four four or six double A's in like two, three months, and I'm replacing them all the time. And the reason is it was always running off battery and pulling smart things. So 
what you could do to avoid that is have a fifth common wire in the bundle of wire that goes from the thermostat down to the control board on the furnace. Um, so I only have a four-wire bundle, which is pretty standard when the thermostats didn't have smart capability. So I found a tool called the Venstar Add-A-Wire, um, and it is basically a small kit that you can put on the control panel at the furnace to take the four wires there and convert them into a five-wire control. You're still using your four-wire bundle to go up to um, the thermostat, and I couldn't pull new wire. It wouldn't have been possible. And then at the thermostat, there's basically a, a pigtail Y cable adapter that you can add and convert your four-wire bundle coming out of the wall to a five-wire going into the thermostat. And what that's really important for is adding what they call the C wire or the common wire, and that carries a um, voltage from the control board on the furnace to the control thermostat. And that's almost required exclusively on any sort of smart thermostat, Nest or Ecobee or Honeywell, that has some sort of Wi-Fi or polling or something more than batteries can handle. Some require it, some can go off batteries. Um, but I ordered this Venstar at a wire. They have a great YouTube video about how to install it and uh, document, you know, saying you got to look for these. And you're looking at um, P, Y, R, W, C. Everything's got a letter, and the the le the colors don't matter as much as the letters. But it helps you to add that C wire, and it was thirty bucks. And uh, my older son and I worked together on installing it, and with the flashlight and making sure we can read the panel. We took pictures before and after, and then we put it in about an hour, maybe a little less, and it's awesome. So not only does it save on battery on that thermostat, it also speeds up the interval but between smart things and um, smart things in the thermostat. So if I'm on the thermostat and I tell it to lower the temperature, it reacts faster now that it's on the C wire and has that uh, consistent power. So that was an upgrade both for not using batteries and for being quick, quicker for the report into smart things. Yeah, oh, very cool. That's a great solution to um, to to you know a problem that because think about how much time you know you said in your case you couldn't rewire right and uh, and even if you could you're talking about pulling wire you know across the house to get it done and this does it fairly easily enough that you could do it as a project with your son. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, fun. Oh, and very cool. It worked out pretty well. Um, and I'm, you know, I was surprised how easy it was. And I was skeptical, you know, will it work with my furnace and um, this old thermostat? And, and it was, it was good. So oh. I thought we have two furnaces, unfortunately, um, because of the way the addition was built in the house. So I thought about getting one for the other thermostat and I instead uh, spent a little bit more money than $30 <laughs> to buy the Ecobee 3. Um, so I picked that up at Best Buy and installed that on the other furnace. And the big uh, selling point of the Ecobee 3, it's, it's a, basically a Nest competitor, but what it offers is the second remote sensor that you can put in another room, and you could buy additional remote sensors if you want. So it, it monitors the room where the thermostat is, which we're all familiar with, but also this remote sensor can gather data both in occupancy and in temperature and report back to the control. 
And so what I've done with that is in the evening, I tell it to prioritize the setting for temperature in the kid's bedroom and not in the living room where the thermostat is. So um, what I do in the summer here is I say uh, at night, during sleep mode, prioritize the thermostat to be at 74 in the kid's bedroom, even if the thermostat in the main room is 76 or 72 or whatever that is because they're different parts of the house. What I may do is get some more additional remote sensors and put one downstairs on the, in the basement and just kind of gather data. What I'd really be interested to see is if you can track temperature over time. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of cool. I, it's a little more, I mean, it's $260 or 250 yeah, 250 on Amazon right now. Yeah, it's not cheap at all. I think it's a little more expensive than Nest. I don't know with the Nest 3 if it's more competitive, but it adds the remote capability, which is kind of nice. Um, it's not natively integrated with SmartThings, but there's a developer that's been writing add-on support for it, and I'm I'm hoping that eventually they bring the EcoBee 3 into the SmartThings as a supported uh, sensor. And... Um, I really feel like we're still two years away from all that stuff really working together seamlessly, right? It's just, it's one of those kinds of things. And we had, um, we had John Greenway on uh, Home Gadget Geeks 217 to talk about that. I wanted to, I kept calling it an Echo Bee during that show because I'm an idiot, basically. But, uh, and so I think, I think if I remember correctly, we were still talking about the two the, yeah. the Ecobee 2 in that. I don't know. Is the 3 fairly new? Uh, well, yeah, the 3 is the current one, but this version of the 3 is the HomeKit compatible. Okay. So there's an Ecobee 3 without a little sticker on the box that says HomeKit compatible, and that one's phased out, but um, the Ecobee 3 just adds HomeKit. And I don't know what that means. Like, what is HomeKit going to do for me? I have an iPhone, and, and I don't know what HomeKit means, so I, mean, I just main, keep using smart things. <laughs> the main thing will just be Siri integration. So you'll be able to tell Siri uh, to do something, and that will translate to HomeKit, and HomeKit will send it off to whatever device you're using. All right, so instead of picking up the phone and changing the temperature, I'll just yeah. say, turn on the fan? Uh, uh, yeah, essentially, yeah. Well, yeah, okay. The other thing that was kind of nice about this tool is most thermostats, and at least the ones I've experienced, for your fan that cycles air, it's either auto, which is only run when I'm cooling or heating, or on all the time. Yeah. And that's great. I like to have it on so that it's cycling air from downstairs to upstairs and just kind of always moving air around. But with Ecobee 3, you have the option to say, how much do you want me to run every hour? How much do you want me to run the fan, whether I'm heating or cooling? So that's perfect. I can say, I want you to run the fan 20 minutes every um, hour, but not 40 minutes. You know, so it's not running all the time. It's only running 20 minutes every hour in order to keep uh, the air moving, but not all the time. So I think that's a really nice feature. Yeah, I'd like to have it here. You know, we... Spring and fall, the basement doesn't get you know the the, the upstairs is cooler or it's warmer, and so yeah. it you know the the thermostat turns on up there. We've got you know we have a fairly regular we have a programmable thermostat, but it's none of the smart ones. We're with us moving in a couple of years. I've kind of held off. And Mike, you're in the same kind of boat, right? You're not going to do much to your apartment there. 
No, it's all stuff that can be taken with, you know, lights and echo and, and things that aren't permanent. Cause I'm definitely right. not, I'm not upgrading the apartment for them. <laughs> no. So I'm, work. I'm holding off a little bit too, but, but Nathaniel, that'd be nice from time to time. I do like your sensor idea of putting a sensor in the basement just to start collecting some data. They get some kind of idea of what is the temperature difference between the two. And then that would really be interesting if you, if you were going to do some HVAC or renovations of some sort, you could kind of give that data to the, you know, to the HVAC guys and say, hey, when you're doing this, our basement is running, you know, five or seven degrees cooler or five or seven degrees warmer than the upstairs. Can you apply the right, you know, the right plumage? I just made that up. Yeah. Sounds, that sounded pretty important, though, didn't it? When I said yeah, it what are those vent thingies? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I agree. And, and, you know, there's only so much you can do when you have multiple floors or this or that. And, maybe having the data would say, yep, it's cold downstairs in the winter and warm upstairs. I knew that. But I'm just interested in how that can be controlled. And this is not zoned heating and cooling. It's not like I can say, just blow air into this room and not in this room. And so it, in some ways it's inefficient, I would suspect, if you're favoring a sensor in a closed room and it's always trying to cool or heat that at the expense of the rest of the house that could be inefficient. I'm not sure, but um, you know, I, I I like the design. I like the way it works. It was easy to install. It came with its own power adapter kit. So converting the four wire to five wire, it came with its own kit to do that. Um, I didn't have any issues installing it except when I was trying to register. What did it do? There was some mistake in the registration process that I was just stuck. And I had to reset it and do it again, but I can't remember what it was. It might have been joining the Wi-Fi or something like that. Yeah, Tony says many of the iris sensors have uh, for the windows and doors also monitor temperature, so that might yeah, be another a multi a multi sensor type thing that yeah. does um, yeah temperature. I have one one of the Aon Tech multi sensors that does temperature, humidity, um, motion, and if there's something else, I don't know, but. Right. It hasn't been really reliable because I've gotten alerts all the time where it says, um, oh, my gosh, your temperature is four below zero. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. And then it goes away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the best decision you've made is buying that T-shirt. I've been wanting oh. to come <laughs> And I just, I, I love it. So That's what they call bait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. So for you audio listeners, he's got the I visited the mothership. Uh, and with you even got the white earbuds in. Like, you are yeah. rocking the employee uh, look right now. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I love I've it. got jeans on. I could just go oh. at the Apple store. Yeah, I saw that on him. I was like, hey, finally someone to support Uyghur yes. coming on the show. Yes. You're the first one, so you're my uh, favorite. You've claimed uh, the favorite spot. You can nice. come back anytime. Oh, good. I'm glad. No, no. I had a, I had a good visit down there. It's 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 nice to say you've been there and visited, and yeah. uh, but it's it's kind of surreal, like, oh, this is this is it. This is the Apple headquarters. And Right. My biggest mistake was not buying that. I bought a coffee mug when I was there and mm. uh, put it in the dishwasher and it wore off the logo. So, oh. yeah. Not as good a quality as you thought, huh? No, not <laughs> Just like no. when you buy well, a Mac. For, it says not don't put it in the dishwasher, oh. and I did. <laughs> hey, whoa, I didn't catch that one. What did you say? Yeah. I said not as good a quality as you thought, just like when you buy a Mac. Oh. All right. 
So Nathaniel, it's a, I don't know why we do this. We don't nice, even care. Thanks. No. <laughs> like Mike and I, when we get together, we never talk about like the Apple versus no. Microsoft. That we never talk about that. Only on the show do we talk about that here. It's just funny. Um, Nathaniel, you're also looking at some gar- uh, garage door controls. Yeah. So I was listening to a certain podcast on the Geeks Network, and they had a gentleman by the name of I think Chris Compton. Mm-hmm of smarthomehq.net and yeah, he Chris talked about talk good yeah he talked about some of his smart things work and then his garage con, garage door controller by Iris or for Iris from yep. Lowe's that he installed and so I started looking into that and I thought that works pretty well and you can get it at Lowe's but like a lot of the smart home stuff I think a lot of them are built generically and then branded by a lot of companies because I found a really, really similar-looking product on Amazon from Go Control, which is another uh, home security system, and it's the exact same thing. I'm almost 100% sure, and it's the Z-Wave Garage Door Opener Remote Controller that you install in the garage, and then it connects to your garage door opener so that you can um, open and close it with uh, smart things. So that's at Amazon for about 88 bucks, and he talked about how he installed that and, and it was working really well with smart things and um, I, I'm going to enjoy listening to his segments and podcasts because he's got some interesting perspectives. Yeah, he's doing some good work. In fact, I, I said we have him scheduled. We don't yet, but I, he was at the meetup and I was like, Chris, we got to get you on Home Gadget Geeks. He and I had actually been passing ships in the night trying to get things scheduled for him, but um, it doesn't look like yet this year, maybe here towards the end of next, or the beginning of next. But yeah, if you haven't listened to his show over there on the Geeks Network, head out to thegeeksnetwork.com. That's always a good place to start. I actually get way more hits um, from that site than I thought I would when we first set that one up. And um, uh, you can get his podcast out there. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And I know um, there's several other ones. Um, I listen to the Richard Gunther's Home On and others, and a lot of times it's it's really interesting just to hear about what's going on in this space, and then occasionally you get inspired and like, okay, I think I can figure that out. Um, my um, big challenge that I want to solve, and I'm kind of putting it off because it's tricky, is installing a dual relay behind a traditional light switch. So instead of replacing the whole switch, I want a little relay that sits behind it and sort of sits in between the switch and the device it's controlling. So I don't have to replace the switch, but I can still control on-off. So uh, that's going to be down the road. Yeah, some good some good home automation stuff. You know, one of the concerns I've had about home automation, one's the expense. It's still really expensive, right, to do some of these things. And I think you really got to weigh the cost benefits of it. Uh, a two is just the complexity of the setup, and it seems like it's getting easier, and there seems like there's more things talking to each other. So that's that's exciting. We're I mentioned earlier, we're moving in a couple years. We're already starting to plan that move. So I've been kind of keeping an eye on home automation from that standpoint, just like okay, because when we get into the new place, I'll probably install some of those things that are that are helpful to me at that point. For this point, I'm not going to install anything I can't pull out. Yeah. So, I'm so the bulbs of... would work and you know, oh, yeah. easy things like that and sensors that stick to the door. But yeah, switches and things you might want to stay away from. One thing I've been frustrated that you might want to watch for is when you're replacing switches and things, almost all of them need that neutral wire available to keep the power, just like the common wire on the thermostat. 
Um, and so I've had to add that to so many of my switches, and um, I'm getting pretty good at that now, pigtailing. And then the hardest thing is jamming those things in the box because they're so big. And yeah. You pull out a 59-cent switch that was put in, and you're putting in a $40 switch that's 10 times as big. And I'm like, and if oh, it's shallow, man. if it's a shallow yeah. box, you're going to run into even more trouble. This is where like home automation when you're building is so handy because right. you can spec out all those spots, put extra large boxes in, you know, make to sure be extra that, deep, to be make sure you can fit all that stuff in. Right, right. Very cool. Anything else from a home automation standpoint? Nope. Nah, that's about it. Cool. Let's talk about some Internet security along these lines. We've been talking about, we just did a show two weeks ago. We talked about, you know, hey, your student's going to college, and so Kevin Schoonover came on, and we talked about free antivirus and free malware and some of those things to protect us. But... We didn't talk about it at the router level, and I said, you know, we'd talk about it later. You've brought some things, and I always appreciate these reminders as we kind of get into it to be like, ah, oh, here's some things to think about and some easy things to set up. So why don't you start off with OpenDNS? Right, so um, we get the question a lot um, about how do I filter my network at home to help my kids stay on track or filter uh, out the bad stuff and... Um, I work in a school district in the tech department, so that's why I get these kind of questions. And from families, how do I help help prevent the bad stuff and get my kids on task? And so one of the recommendations is using OpenDNS, and that's um, been around a long time, and it is uh, pretty straightforward, I think, but it is a little of a stretch for people who don't know how to configure their router or need some help. But uh, it's it's easier and I think safer for us to recommend a system like that rather than software that sits on the computer and installing you know parental control stuff so um, one of the things I wanted to emphasize for people that aren't familiar with it um, OpenDNS runs in the cloud and you basically tell your home router to get its DNS answers from OpenDNS rather than from your ISP like Comcast or Cox or Time Warner by doing that, there is a couple benefits. One is that they have an incredibly high um, uh, reputation with uptime and reliability and speed. And the other piece is that you can um, either take their default filtering, if you want filtering or not filtering, or you can customize the filtering for your home uh, by paying for their home VIP uh, service. And so I'm, I use the home VIP service, and I've, I've used it for many years now. And... Um, it works very well, and one of the benefits, other than being able to pick categories that I want to filter from my network, um, is it also filters out um, malware and spoof domains and other bad things that I may accidentally click on, which has happened a few times where I'm, you know, I get an email from someone that says something that I'm gullible, and I I click on it, and it takes it to me a site, and OpenDNS says, whoa, whoa, you don't want to go here, so. Um, that's one of the benefits I find. So the options with OpenDNS is you can go free and just point to them and get better DNS service. Everything's faster, nothing would be filtered, and it's very reliable. Um, if your ISP has problems with their DNS servers, you would be um, immune to that because you're getting DNS requests from someone else. The other option they have, which is new that I've... not Not new... Unless maybe it is new, but it's new to me, is what they call Family Shield. And this is the same as the free version. However, it doesn't cost you anything, but they've pre-configured it 
to block adult content. So you don't have to go in and set anything. You don't have to say which categories you want blocked. It provides fraud and phishing protection and uh, parental controls, but that pre-configured content blocking is a nice, easy way to say, I just want to be safer and keep my kids off the known bad stuff, and um, it just does that for you. The way they make it um, set up, the way you would set it up, is instead of using their standard DNS IP addresses, 208.67.222.222, you point to a couple other different ones that are pre-configured for those settings. So if someone wanted to, you know, safe network without having to go configure it or pay for it, that's a that's another option that I thought was kind of nice for families. Um, that's the OpenDNS Family Shield. Yeah, let me let me share that out real quick so folks yeah. can see that. So there's your options right there. Uh, OpenDNS Family Shield, and exactly like you described it there, then the OpenDNS Home, and then the VIP. Why do you pay for the, it's $20 a year, but uh, Nathaniel, why do you pay for the, the VIP? Yeah, so two reasons. One, I can customize domains, so I can say, turn off games. I don't know why um, a father of two boys who love playing Minecraft and other things would ever want to block game sites, but uh, it's an option that you can turn off and it takes about three minutes and then you can log in from work or from your phone and turn it back on when some homework is finished, <laughs> for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the benefits of doing the $20. And the other is you've got history. So it retains your statistics and trends over time so that you can look back and see what was blocked and what's been used. And let me tell you, it's surprising how much the PS3 um, queries the Internet. It's like all the time when it's left on. So I learned from that, oh, I should really turn off the PS3 when we're not using it. So um, that's that's a reason that I would pay 20 bucks a year for that. And, yeah, and, and I'm a free guy. I've always used, I think, for the last seven or eight years, I think. It's been that yep. long. Been a, Well, maybe not that long. Five years, maybe. I've been an open DNS guy, and I talk about it all the time. I think it's great for family, and it's a minimum. You know, if you got kids, I think it's the minimum to put on your router. You can do that on a configur configurable router like a PS Sense or Sophos if you want to do it. You could also set that on your on your standard router. So if yep. you're running everything through a wireless router and uh, and you want to do it that way, you can set it on on that way. There are ways around it, so let's not be let's not be blind. Right, the kids can go in there and reconfigure their DNS. Unless you do something else. And Nathaniel, you had mentioned that uh, before we started. But what would you do to keep them from doing that? Right. Um, well, we've got that question too. Is uh, My clever, smart child has set DNS on their MacBook, Chromebook, iPad, iPhone, whatever, to not use my router and go directly to Google, 8888. And um, you, you can't prevent that unless at the router level you set up something that um, prevents DNS bypass, I guess is a way to, I don't know the exact phrase that's used, but basically on your network, you, and I have an example in the show notes for using PFSense to do this, but you're blocking any DNS queries that don't go to the router directly and from the router to the next hop, which would be OpenDNS. So it's, it's a UDP port 53, I think, and you're basically saying ignore anything that's going not to me. Um, so I looked into it, and I am not going to use that feature. I'm not going to turn that on um, because I don't want to get into a cat-and-mouse game. Um, 
because as soon as I do that, then it, there may be other ways to get around it, free VPN or other uh, cellular connections or things, and I don't want to play that game of, like, cat and mouse. So I feel like for my family setting, you know, here's some obvious things I'm going to block, pornography, hate speech, malware, um, and just, no, these are the things we don't want to support in our household, um, but I'm not going to get in a, uh, you know, a, a match of trying to always outsmart everyone yeah. else. You know, Nathaniel, we found this really expensive method of making sure the computer monitor faces, like, public <laughs> was one of those things that really put the cup that you know the kibosh on on a lot of and I'm not listen I'm not I'm not here to tell you I don't I had four boys no. I, I'm, I'm 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 telling you I'm sure they found things on their own but that being said you try to do as many you know Christian when he talks about cybersecurity he always talks about reducing the attack surface right you're never going to completely get rid of it all but you can reduce you can slow it down you can make it a little harder and that for us that was just one of those things about getting those monitors facing a public direction so they can be seen at any time, even if they're in the room by themselves down there. At least it's out and open and in public, and can yep. be seen. That slowed a lot of stuff down, and uh, and so that that worked as well. You know, the open DNS for me was just one of those things. One, I think, from a security standpoint, it was just important that for those phishing sites yep. that that just blocked those right off the bat. So that was value to me. And then from time to time, it would just stop stuff, and that was that was good. That worked out. So it's just a good thing to have on there. Yeah, I, I agree, and um, that's physical security, as you would call it, or physical monitoring is really a good solution. You know, don't go hide in your room behind the doors and do things uh, that may be questionable. Be part of the family, be visible, and, you know, my recommendation for families to say, oh, my kids are addicted to this or they're always doing it, is um, you have physical control over those devices, you know, if... If the uh, the device is not being used appropriately or within whatever limits or expectations a family sets, then you know you you have the ability to say it's time to close the lid, it's time to put the devices away, or you know like you do the famous cell phone Jenga at dinner. You know we're going to try to not be on our devices and and talk to each other, whether it's inappropriate use or completely appropriate use, but just too much. So. Um, I, I I think a little bit of security and a little bit of prevention for security and and just um, uh, what your family's comfortable with is good, but don't go to extremes. Because, uh, you know, I, I looked into the Sophos home router and Untangle, and I'm curious about it just for the um, exploring. But I also don't want to get into another whole project of work that I have to do and build another BYOD box with Untangle on it, and do I put it behind the router or, do you know, where? And that's a lot of extra work that I'm not really excited about doing. So... Open DNS is open DNS is really easy. It's quick, and it's been it's been good for me. Yeah, so. no, I think it's good. We we run PFSense here in the Collison house. That's what we've chose. I think, so, I, I think you might Sophos isn't. I don't know if it's easier or harder. I haven't set it up, but I get the impression it's a little more technical. Although PFSense has a lot of options. I mean, I've turned PFSense on, and I have not configured, you know, very much. I can block things by IP. I can block them by country. I can add lists of things. I can monitor lists of, you know, predetermined lists of stuff. I did a lot of that for a while, and then it crashed, and I had to rebuild it, and I never set that stuff back up, and we're fine. So for us, just having that PFSense router up front has been, for me, makes me yeah. feel good about, and there's lots of other things you can do. Certainly the guys that listen to this program, uh, many of them are, are 
way more advanced uh, than the stuff that I've done, and that's available there as well. But PFSense and Sophos, I think, are the two, if you were going to look. Those would probably be the two most popular ones, at least in our community, that um, that's out there. Mike Howard says he's still running version 1.2.3 of PFSense. Uh, I think they're on version 2. He's not that far away from an upgrade, but he doesn't want to reboot his... <laughs> he doesn't yeah, want to reboot yeah. his... So Mike, upgrade that stuff and uh, and reboot that uh, that router. So uh, Mike Weaker, how when when you were you're not that far from, you know, f- those years. How did your parents handle this? Oh, you're muted, Mike, for some reason. Hold on. What? That would explain a lot. There we okay, go. There oh, were you go. trying to talk? And I said a few things, and I was like, Sorry. oh, well, never mind. No, it's no, my no, fault. The dog was barking again. Go ahead. So. Um, but back when I was in high school, I was in a high school that gave out each student had their own laptop. You kept it all year. You turned it in before summer. So obviously we were a very technological uh, savvy family, but my mom did not – she did not want Wi-Fi. You had to go down to the office and you hardwired your computer in. And this was back, you know, before smartphones and stuff like that. So it's not like you needed the Wi-Fi for anything. So all of us had to be – we were all – I mean, we'd have two or three of us in the office. And like you said, the monitor's facing the same way. And uh, that, was, that was a very good control of what happened on the Internet. At our house, but obviously that's not really a, a uh, option anymore. I mean, I do know a few people who have kids nowadays who will do the. I mean, you've seen on the internet the sticky note that says, "Hey, do you want today's Wi-Fi password? Do these chores and go do this, uh-huh. and you can have the password for today." So, I mean, there's ways around it, but oh man, we got a uh, we ton didn't have of any things. Software, anything like that. We just had the you. I have to be able to see your monitor, and it works. Mike, we got a ton of things done that way where we kept a timer. We used this, uh, in, and I know you got this listed. This. Uh, securely, uh, Nathaniel, yeah. in there. We had one called Enough that was a timer, a configurable timer, and the kids got an hour a day. You know, it, this was, yeah, this was probably seven years ago or so, and and so it, they got an hour a day, and then they could earn more by doing chores. And oh my gosh, we got so many things done that way because I just had kids that could not. You know, they were like, I need, I need time, Dad. I need time on the computer. I'm like, well, go empty the dishwasher. That'll get you another hour. And uh, we got tons of stuff done. The other thing that we did, especially this was early on with MySpace when that first came out, is every time the kids would get into something and they would really get into it, we'd get oh, yeah. into it too. Like we would get into it. There's nothing that will squelch the excitement of your teenager or your junior hire about some kind of platform than when your parents start talking about it at dinner, right? And and so, you know, the kids got all into, my, into MySpace and we jumped in there with them. They got... You know, we made the jump to Facebook. We all, we jumped in with them on the, from that standpoint, and it was just one of those kinds of things to be there, right? To be present, not mm-hmm. to be absent. I think, and and you can say, oh, I'm not really into Facebook. Well, your kids are. Guess what? You should probably be out there going on. And we get tons of interaction. I mean, still for us, family communication happens in Facebook Messenger. That's how we talk. You know, with the kids spread out all over the city of Omaha now. When Sarah wants to talk to everybody at once, we use Facebook Messenger. And so we just embraced it. And so as a parent, I think if your kids are going to be on it, like my kids don't play Minecraft today, but if they were young and they were, I would probably be into Minecraft just so I knew what was going on on the platform. It was one of those things, right? Go ahead, And And this might be a little extreme, but I guess I was – I will have no trouble controlling my kids and what they do because, I mean – even my parents, and this is going to sound extreme, but they had they knew the passwords to every account I had all the way up until the time I left the house. And a lot of people, like I've been talking with Han about this, about when we have kids, I'm like, I'm going to have their passwords. She goes, oh, that's such an invasion of privacy. 
I said, my, my parents never, I don't think once, read the messages on Facebook. They never once got into my iChat, but just the known fact that they had the password, they knew that, I mean, that had a big factor on me of what I said when I messaged people, because I'm like, at some point, my parents could read this, and would I want them to? And there's that whole rule of don't do anything on the internet you wouldn't want your parents to see or your grandmother to see. And it's it's easy to kind of say that, but when your parents have your password and uh, it, it changed a lot and there was a lot that I, you know, just, I just knew that, okay, they could read this if they wanted to. So I'm in a totally different boat. When I tell my friends that they think I'm absolutely crazy. And I'm like, I think I'll do the same thing. It's, it's, you know, you live in my house sort of thing. And of course it's easy for me to parent as a non-parent. It's always yeah. Easy it's always easy to, for non-parents to tell. Yeah. You me. haven't been there, but it you is. will be, and you'll find out it works. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. <laughs> By the yeah. way. It depends you on the type of say kid those things. You, you know, for, yeah. for someone like my sister, that would, they didn't need to do that with her. She's right. a very, you know, she's just up front and everything. But with me, I'm a little more not as open to talk to them about stuff. So it was just something that, and like I said, they never once read it. You know, we've talked about this since I've left the house and joked about how locked down we were when I was, when I was uh, younger. But it, it worked and it did the job and I respected them for it. And of course I complained about it. I'm sure I, I got grounded a few times uh, as a kid for that sort of <laughs> stuff. But I think you can't be too safe with your kids on the internet. No. I, just, I really can't, especially seeing some of the stuff on Facebook that like, my cousins or my friends' kids will post out there. I'm like, do you know what your kids are posting? Do you know what's on their Instagram? Do you know the kind of stuff? Sometimes it's a little scary to see what they, they just don't think about. So No, we, we encourage our kids on Facebook. You know, Sammy will post things out there, and, you know, we're out. We're the first ones out there liking it, you know, right. from that standpoint. Nathaniel, you're in this business, and so you know the bullying problems that we have in our schools here in the United States. I think it's important to monitor what's going on with your kids, not for what they're doing, but what for their friends are saying to your kids. Because I think it's super important you know, because sometimes the kids won't speak up. Right? Things can be right. going on and the kids won't say anything. And I think it's really important to know as a parent some of those conversations that are going that are going on. This isn't this isn't I'm gonna get real serious here for just a second. This is not a parental policy you can all of a sudden just implement overnight. You can't if you're if you got a teenage son and you're hearing this message and you're like, oh crap, I should probably be doing something. If you haven't been doing it to this point, you cannot do this overnight. <laughs> In fact, you may have already let the cat out of the or the, the horse out of the barn from that standpoint. You'll never get those permissions from them again. It just won't work. Super important that you start these things early with these kids. Build trust with them, right? Because they need to trust you with it. They won't. If they think you're going to do something with it and you blow that trust, like you read their texts and then you tell other people what are in those texts, you're screwed, right? You have totally lost your kid's trust from that standpoint and they're never going to trust you again. We just had an open policy with our kids and, and you know, sometimes we read things and sometimes we didn't. But Mike, to your point, I, man, I think it's super important that we engage uh, in, in this and we know what's going on. Our, one of our daughter's friends committed suicide last year. It was super hard on my daughter, and I just was very careful what I saw going across on social for her because I just, as a parent, I needed to be, I needed to be there. I needed to be present. So don't hover to the point where they get no freedom. Don't totally write it off to the point where they they can do whatever they want. But man, as parents, you gotta engage in some level. Mike, hopefully you'll engage early and have success. You never know until you do it. And some kids respond to it better than others, you know? Well, and the, the hard part is for me, my kids are going to have all those tools from day one. Just because, I, I mean, I love technology. It's going to be around them. Um, 
But because I was the same way, my dad was a tech guy. So we had computers around. We had the internet for, I mean, since as long as I can remember, but it's just, is it the rules they implemented that kind of saved the yeah. day. But I, I, you know, just like what you were saying is I saw stuff on Instagram of a friend of mine's little brother. And I said, Hey, I, I, I might, you know, do we want to talk to him or is there something that we need to talk to him about? He just seems like, you know, the things he's posting are a little, little dark and maybe we should talk to him. Yeah. And, and it, it, it worked out, you know, talking Good. to him and, and some of that, but be monitoring and even be monitoring other people's kids for that. You know, if, if you see notice something of what a friend's another parent who may not be as involved, uh, you never know, you might save the day on that one. Yeah. So, um, some strategies and, and this goes back to the time spent and the, uh, use overuse, whether it's inappropriate, or appropriate, um, that some of our friends have done is said, you're welcome to use your cell phone as much as you want when it's plugged in right here. And you have to stay in here as long as you want to do that. And so it kind of forces it to be a local in the kitchen kind of thing. And then it gets tiring and that sort of is a strategy to, to get the breaks in there. But um, regarding the, the cyberbullying and posting and appropriateness, yeah. um, with our son, he has a cell phone and, and the policy is, you know, you, we own it. FYI, we can take it away anytime, yeah. but um, we get to know the passcode. And so r rather than trying to keep track of all the passwords for all the accounts and everything, he just he tells us the passcode and he knows that we could pick it up anytime and look through a history of texts or whatever. Just, you know, it's because it's ours and we're an adult and he's, you know, a dependent and that's just the expectation. So... Uh, he doesn't use the social media stuff a lot, so I don't, you know, I don't think it's uh, at that point where there's a lot of conversations coming in and out. But it's just sort of the expectation from the beginning that you know we we get the passcode for the phone and um, we can check it if we need have any concerns. Yeah. I just think it's a great idea to have a conversation every once in a while too with the kids about hey, what's going on? You know, just if you can, right? Again, you got to build trust in your right. kids on this and say hey, what's going on in school and you know, anything, anything you're concerned about? Are you stressed about this? How does, you know, are there conversations going on? Do you feel like you're being picked on at school or whatever? And, and it's just so easy now. You know, the trolls. I mean, this is, we pick this up yeah. as adults. We become trolls when, when we're adults. Well, the kids just don't have all the context to be able to handle this. As adults, when we get trolls, we just go, well, all right, whatever, dude. But, but the kids take it very, very personally. And um, it's just become a really big problem. So, my advice, engage your kids where you can, right? Everybody's different on this, and I, I know, you know, some people say, I got this all under control, or you should never, ever, ever read their text ever, and hey, you parent how you need to. I'm just saying, there's <laughs> some, some things you might want to well, pay attention to. And I think to. that trust thing comes back to, it's beyond the rules and regulations that you start. The trust thing starts beyond you setting expectations for your kids. I knew that my mom and dad were people that I could go to and talk about right. stuff, and I could tell them things, and then they, they wouldn't go, if it was something about school, they wouldn't go storming into the principal's office because I told them something, and they wouldn't go talk to their parent about something I told them that happened. And so I just, that trust was already built. So when they asked for my password, first of all, that was just going to be the rule. I had nothing to say about it. But second of all, I was like, yeah, sure, I trust you guys. Even if you read something that I thought was a little bit private, you wouldn't be spouting your mouth off about it to you know the other mom at the PTA meeting. That's just not something that happens. So that trust was right. there before they even implemented these rules. So. Yep. I don't know, this is fun for me to start thinking about because I'm just I'm you know, I'm probably ten, twelve, thirteen years away from a kid that's in there those years of using those tools. So Yeah. No, good stuff. Well, Nathaniel, I'm I'm at the end of it, right? My kids I have one left who's yet to jettison and she's done really well and all my kids have actually done really well. You're in the thick of it 
with uh, with the kids and the grades that you have. Yep. Yep. Mike, you're at the very beginning of it, uh, just getting started, and you have high idea or high ideas of what you think you can and can't do. do. And they'll all be <laughs> shot down first day that thing yeah. arrives. It'll be great, and I'll be there. Tomorrow. I'll be there for you, man. I'll the just sort drops it off. I'll just be like, oh my gosh, what a no, it takes Go back a few and watch years. that podcast with Jim. What episode is this? Because I had some it's great awesome. ideas. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, let's bring this back around to tech real quick. Yes. Uh, Nathaniel, I want to move on. You had talked about, or in the notes here, and I'm a little sad, but it looks like you're going to reti- retire your Drobo. Tell me it's not so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've got a Gen 2 Drobo, one of the um, four-bay ones that yeah. use FireWire USB, and I've been using it for a long time, and I think that maybe one of the early episodes that I did with you was talking about how I set up a Mac Mini with this Drobo for my crash plan backup archives for my 23 friends and family. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it, the concept's great. It, it is easy to use and set up, but the performance was just miserable. And, you know, it would take hours and hours to copy a gig, you know, from one computer to another. And it, it worked fine for crash plan because this stuff trickles in over the internet anyway, so it's not that, but it's just miserable. And I tried putting in um, better drives, and then I have three uh, Western Digital Red drives in there now, and so I think, well, these are NAS drives; it should be better. And it's just terrible. So I've decided, well, it's the time to retire it, and I I can either buy a new Drobo and upgrade it, but uh, the 5D, I think, is the one that I would get where it, it's a direct attached. Yep. Um, yep, I didn't 5D. want the 5N. Um, yep. But that was, you know, $500 empty. Very expensive. Yep. Yeah. And you know, they've gotten a little cheaper in the last four or six months. They're, okay. you know, they're getting ready to refresh. But still, it's NAS price, right? You're paying top dollar NAS price if you're going to move into a Drobo right now. Yeah. And so I thought about that, but then it uses USB 3. It doesn't have FireWire, so then I'd have to get a new computer that has USB 3 to act as the host, and I didn't want to do that. And so um, I, I decided to retire it. I've been moving archives and content from the Drobo to a, um, a Windows Server, Windows Home Server 2011 that I have built, and using DrivePool, I can pool those drives, and it's not the same as Drobo and RAID, but it effectively does what I want. It puts the data spread out over volumes. I don't have to pick a drive and make sure it doesn't get full. Um, so it, it's a great product, um, the drive pool product by Stablebit. And so I've been moving my crash plan archives to that. And um, it works pretty well. The process is you, you uh, move the archive from one to the other, then you go into your crash plan app and say, I'm attaching an archive, and you find it, and you click, and it says, oh, this belongs to your friend Alex, and then it says, okay, now I'm going to let him back up here. Once you're confident that that's working and, and backed up, then you can go remove the um, archive from the old computer. So that's been a, a long process, just because it takes so long to copy from the Drobo, um, and uh, it's almost done. The last big archive is one for my um, older iMac that has a terabyte archive, and um, that's going to take a long time to copy off. But. So you're moving them from the Drobo to the server, and then you're associating, you're going into the crash plan software yep. and saying, okay, associate this archive with this backup, and then you don't have to recopy it. Yeah, but you're so right, it would take a long, a physical copy would take almost as long yeah. to then just back it, re-back it up, right? Well, but I don't want to do that to people because right. no, then you. they wouldn't get the historical deleted data or whatever they have, I don't know. So, you know, it's it's fine. You go in, you run it, 
for 14 hours or whatever it takes, then you check it. And, and the hardest thing was going through all the GUIDs, you know, because each archive is an 18-digit, I think, GUID, and looking up, who is that? You know, because in the interface you see Jim, but Jim is associated with this random GUID down here, and, mm -hmm. and you can figure it out. It just I had to make a spreadsheet and keep track of which one was I doing, and did I copy this one? Did I confirm it? Did I remove it? And so it's been a very slow process, but I'm kind of excited to be able to retire that and shut it down. And uh, it, it runs so much faster on the home server, so much faster oh, to yeah. copy, yep. so much faster to back up. It's reliable, and I um, I'm just real happy with that. I'm a little anxious about when the storage gets tight and you know I can't put physically any more drives in there um, but I think what I'm gonna do is instead of the Drobo I will retire that and then hopefully buy either a Synology or a QNAP NAS and start looking at that for multimedia yeah so. It's a good way to do it. We talk a lot about that on Home Server Show. I know. I will, I will yeah we have we got a show just for that. I will show uh, so I am I've got StableBit running on a Windows Server 2012 instance, yeah. and so I just set that up to four, two uh, four terabyte drives striped together for redundancy. So that's what you're looking at right there, and that gives me five, 5.46 total. And uh, I'm not seeing actually, that. Are you yeah, sharing oh, that either? Yeah, look down. On, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, let's try it again. Thank you for saying you're not seeing that. Let's try it again. Let's share. Tell me if you're seeing that now. Do you guys see it down in the bottom? It's not on mine. It's going to be on the one that says, oh, this, do you see it now? It there we go. Okay, very good. Um, so it took a second to get there. Do you see, Mike? Do you see it down on the bottom? And, yeah. And get it to on you? It. Okay, yep. perfect. So anyways, uh, so in, in case you didn't see it, so that's the one 5.46 uh, terabytes, just two 4-terabyte drives striped together uh, for redundancy at that point for backup. So they're duplicated, about 2.5 terabytes. Uh, duplicated there, and then uh, I've got a, a virtualization pool that I'm actually using the software as well. These are three drives. They're smaller drives, and I've got them put together for speed, and um, got some stuff going on there. And it, so it's kind of interesting. This 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 stable bit drive pool allows us to do that fairly efficiently and fairly easy, and not uh, not terribly expensive either to get that done. So I think that's a good choice. Yeah, I like I like their software. It's worth paying for that. Super easy to use. And, yeah, um, super. I haven't. What's the price? I haven't looked at the price in a you while. You know, the more so. they have three products, I think now. Stablebit um, has Drive Pool, yeah. Drive Scanner, mm -hmm. and they have a new one called Cloud Drive, which is kind of interesting. Where I think, if I remember correctly, it works a little bit like the old Jungle Disk, where it'll mount a virtual drive on your on your computer, but it's actually your cloud storage. So um, not a sync tool, I, I don't believe, but more like a remote disk mounted there. But um, the more you buy from them, they, they kind of shave the price off. So buying both drive pool and stable bit drive, drive pool and scanner, yeah. it's like 40 bucks for the two or something. And, um, yeah, Drashna is actually, uh, Drashna in our, in our forums, and in, he's in chat. I'm surprised he's not here tonight. He is not, so he must be busy tonight. He is tech support for them, so he knows a lot about what's going on over there. So we have one of their guys in our community. It's just a great product. Their new interface is dynamite, super easy to use. And and I think a tool for the average guy. You know, typically we oh, talk yeah. home server stuff over at Home Server Show, and that's a little little nerdy, probably above average for a lot of guys. But this stable bit, uh, the drive pool stuff has made it really easy to use and get in and get set up, and, and so I've been yeah. running that on my server. Yeah, and so in uh, in the chat there, Mike 
I asked about why not use Unraid or look at Unraid. I remember he's talked about that quite a bit, and it's a very interesting to me, and it sounds like it meets a lot of the needs, but my question is I don't remember if that would be able to run a client. So one of the advantages for me of using the Windows Home server is I can install applications on it like CrashPlan and BitSync, BTSync, and other things because it's really, you know, it's an operating system, not just a NAS or storage device. So um, the Unraid is appealing is appealing to me, but I'm not sure how it would work for that. But yeah. Synology you know, maybe instead of Synology. Yeah, Synology would work great. From a crash plan perspective, Synology and crash plan that's been on there a while, it works, right? I mean I think I as I think about that, I think all that software is optimized and is already there and is already working. Yeah, it is. I've been looking into that as as the one solution that I'm probably gonna save up for and grab for myself. Yeah. It's all on there. It's a great way to go. It's a great way to go. Microsoft has outpriced everybody on the server. So, you know, I, I run it because, you know, I run it. I'm an MVP, and I have access to all the, all the, the you know, the server software, and I'm testing it, right, and from that standpoint. And so it, it works for me. That's not the average guy solution. Mm. I'd also look at, for a QNAP, right? That has, that's something we looked at the meetup a couple weeks ago, and those guys are coming on strong, and their software is strong too. So, Mike, before you just buy off on a Synology, you might want to look at the QNAP piece. Okay. That is... That's another one. Those two, I think, right now from a NAS perspective are the two front runners when we think about having home storage. And I would say on the QNAP, I'm not as familiar with their software. I've looked at the software packages in Synology, and, and one of the things that appeals to me, two two things that I've been told about that I like, one is that it, um, it re- might replace iPhoto or photos, whatever they call it now, where you can put your photo library on a central NAS, still have multiple people access it, share things easily, and it has an auto backup feature. So when you bring your phone and it can tell you're on your local network, it'll start backing up your photos to the Synology automatically. And I don't know if QNAP does that, but QNAP has been on Woot the last couple months, and you can get some pretty good deals on two- and four-bay QNAP devices um, going through if you watch Woot. So. What kind of price are we talking for those on Woot? Usually, I think I want to say a couple hundred bucks for a two bay or four bay. Okay. Um, it was one of the time it came through and it was really significant discount. It was like half um, versus new. So it's a good way to buy them. Yeah. It's a good way to buy them. Especially em. if you're just dipping in. I mean, I'll probably start with a two bay and not commit too much just to get used to the software. You know, since the software is the same no matter what size you buy. I think that's a nice low-risk way to get used to it and comfortable. And is this going to meet my needs rather than going jumping into a four or five bay and then oh well the software is terrible. But I don't know. I am um, uh, Nathaniel. I also moved. I did a bunch of work this week on my files and I moved my recorded TV or some of it over to the server as well. I had been trying to run it on the Drobo and even the five N with the SSD caching not good enough for recording really? TV. Yeah, no, not good enough. So I was I was thinking, well, maybe those new ones are really better, and no. I just thought, I don't want to no. risk it. You did, you're doing the right thing. It, it's, not, it's really designed for storage and redundant storage and protecting. Now, I have, in the last week, ripped two drives out of that thing, just snapped them out, pulled them out, and it does its magic, and the next day it's ready to go, right? I mean, so from a backup and redundancy standpoint, the Drobo is drop-dead simple, right? You'd give your mom a Drobo, right, from that <laughs> standpoint, but... We need, we geeks, we want the Synologies or we want the QNAPs. Those have the apps that really work. You know, Drobo tried to go this way and it never worked for them. 
unfortunately. And this will probably be my last robo. I'll be honest with you at this point. I, the kids bought this for me for for my birthday, and I'm not going to sell it or give it away or do something different. I will use it till it's till it's done, um, and I back it up pretty carefully. But but yeah, no, I think that's a good call. I think that Synology QNAP idea is good to go. We're going to run out of time, Mike. I want to kick over to you real quick because you picked up some new TP-Link. And by the way. I picked up a TP-Link router, a wireless router for 20 bucks on Amazon that has just been dynamite. So They're amazing products. Yeah, talk about what you picked up. Yeah, I picked up the TP-Link. Uh, these are going to be power line adapters. So the problem I was running into was uh, the way my apartment, I just live in a super old apartment. I mean, it's been around since my parents were kids. So uh, the walls are super thick, well-made, good old American construction, but that's really bad for your wireless signal. I also live in an L-shaped apartment, so my Wi-Fi, the way I have my office set up, it's in one corner, and it has to go outside, into the outside, outdoors, and come back in. And so the signal's not too great on the other side, so I just threw these TP-Link uh, power line adapters, put one in the office and one in the living room. I did this for the Xbox, because we watch all of our media on there, Netflix, um, and I game quite a bit on the Xbox online, and so I needed a better speed. So I was seeing about 15 to 16 down to that Xbox and 5 up on Wi-Fi, and now I'm seeing 40 down and about 7 up, which 7 up is about my max, I think, anyway, for my internet provider. So I got about doubled the speeds, and uh, it works perfectly. Super easy to install, $34, which was, or no, $37. Uh, and that was the big selling point for me. I got on Amazon, and when I saw it, they were $37. I decided to give them a try. You plug the router one in first, and then you plug with them the second one in wherever you want in your house. They say 300 meters uh, is the length that they can go. So more than enough for my apartment. And uh, they were set up within seconds. Didn't have to do anything. You don't even have to press a button. You just plug them in and they connect to each other. So uh, it's fantastic. The best way to extend a network, especially to those uh, hard points to reach for, for Wi-Fi. But you could also run these and then run another access point off of them. I thought of that too. So I'll probably use these in my future house. I'll probably use them to run maybe into an upstairs, into a downstairs, and then throw in an extra access point, and uh, they'd be really good for that. So, yeah, they're awesome. 37 bucks. And this one has one Ethernet port. The other ones have two for $10 more, so you can bump up for $10 more, have two. Uh, it says 500 megabytes per second is the maximum transfer speed. I haven't tested that yet. I don't really know what the maximum is. Uh, I'm hitting theoretical maximums for my internet speed, which is all I need it for. So if you're going to use them you maybe for... for the Xbox, right? That was yeah, primarily... Yeah, for the Xbox. So I'm not trying... And the only thing I would need network connection for, like internal network, is for Plex. So I don't know what the speeds will be for Plex, uh, when it ran the network test, it was testing internet speed. So I'll have to see kind of the connections you get. So if you're doing it for NAS transfers or anything like that, you might want to bump up to the next step up. I think they do have higher speeds uh, available for a little bit more money, but this one works just as well for uh, internet. Yeah, very cool. About the size of a credit card, too. I mean, even super a little bit tiny. smaller. Yeah, right? super tiny. It's not one of those bulky things. The one thing I did learn, and they put this on the big on the instructions and they, they advertise it everywhere. You can't use a power strip. You'll get actually pretty bad performance. So um, if you've, and another thing is if you've tried these in the past, they've gotten a lot better over time. I mean, the technology has really increased. I think they started coming out maybe two years ago uh, to the general public and now they're really good. But yeah, you can't plug them into a power strip. They've got to be directly into the wall. So I had to move some stuff around, but other than that, it worked. Nope. I'm a big fan of those power line adapters too. I've I've set one up and it's been very easy to set up, very reliable, and met the need. There's no Ethernet in this area. I need some Ethernet for one reason or another, and it works great. 
Yeah, and I was expecting maybe a little bit of packet loss, and the Xbox is kind of cool. It tells you that sort of stuff. So I had a, a 95 millisecond ping and a 0% packet loss. So, I mean, it's wow. getting a great connection. Yeah. No, good stuff. I think one of those solutions, if you get in a situation where you can't, you can't the, the Wi-Fi won't stretch, you know, we were in pre-show we were talking about this, and the only really Wi-Fi that, that's a PC is my wife's uh, right above me here, and I could technically, I mean, I could literally just punch a hole through and run the cabling through and get it done, but I haven't. And uh, so she's running on a, I bought one of those mini, uh, you know, wireless adapters that it's just a little nub, right? You put it, it's amazing what you can get out of those things, right? A little yeah. nub. Good enough for her, and so we've gone wireless, but it is, it's literally right above the router, so I don't worry about it too much. But if I was, this would be a great solution out in the garage, you know, where I've got yeah. a big concrete wall that sits between the basement and the garage. If I needed to get wireless out there, that'd be a great solution to get that done. This TP-Link stuff is pretty amazing. It's made super cheap, but... There are switches. I bought a gigabit switch for, I think, around $20, and it was an 8-port gigabit switch, and it works flawlessly. I put it in my parents' house. It works great. Oh, very cool. They are. Some of their instructions, the translation's not too great, because they're a Chinese company, I think. So sometimes they're all read Chinese instructions, companies. And it's, it's, a little, it's a little weird to read. These they're instructions. all Chinese companies, so yeah. it's there's nothing left anymore. It, the, the instructions are always going to be a little sketchy. Nathaniel, anything else you want to throw in before I wrap it up? I'm good. Okay. Thanks again for coming on, and, and uh, Mike, good stuff. As we, oh, Mike, real quick, your pebble. Oh yeah, on my I am on my third pebble. So uh, we talked about the first one where I got in the pool with it. Or actually, it was a lake, and just got in the lake for two minutes and got back out and it was broken. Same thing with the second one. We went on our vacation, like we had talked about. Got in the pool and I made sure I was laying in like the zero depth entry. I was laying in the pool. I just rested my hand on the ground. The water barely covered it. Within two minutes, it was it was broken as well. So. Uh, that was fun to deal with, but I their customer service, I have to give it to them. I mean, I had a new one within five days. So I'm on my third pebble, but they're not as waterproof as they claim to be. They claim to be five uh, five meters. I think you've been down to five meters with it, and uh, that's not true. You can't go down two inches with them. So, But the funny part is I looked in the forums. I, like, searched. Is this a common problem? Everyone says they're fantastic to, like, swim with. They use it to track their swimming. I must have gotten, like, two really bad ones or something. I am very rare. Maybe you can't just take it under the water and leave it there, right? Well, you think that would be, like, the easy... I'm thinking of swimmers who are, like, putting pressure of, like, the water yeah. rushing by it. I thought that would be worse. But Maybe you should go swimming with that one and see what it... I'm willing. I mean, they keep replacing them, so I'll I'll keep testing it if they'll keep replacing oh, that's it. That's funny. That's funny. No, well, good update, and we'll follow you through that as well. If you uh, if you want to follow Mike, if you're new to Home Gadget Geeks, of course, Mike has Open Mic Night available over there at OP. No, it's not that anymore. Uh, Twenty nine eighty networks with an S net network nope. single network dot com. Yeah, and uh, just search Open Mic M I K E Open Mic Night on. Uh, on YouTube, or no, I'm sorry, on uh, iTunes, the, the stores, iTunes. Yeah, you know, we'd have to make a correction too. Chris Compton, his his podcast is called Smart Home HQ, and that, not technically, Nathaniel, that's not on the Geeks Network yet. Uh, my mistake. No, you're good. Am I, I fired? <laughs> no, you're good. In fact, you're, you, we want you to come back. So yes. it's one of those one of those things that uh, that we wanted to do. So Smart Home HQ, we'll try and get Chris on here as well. Mike, did you have one more thing? No. Okay. I thought you said, wait a minute. That's what I thought I heard you say. Wait a minute. 
Don't finish, Jim. Yeah. Well, we want to thank those who uh, use the Amazon, uh, the AverageGuy.tv Tech Scholarship Fund Amazon link. So if you go to the AverageGuy.tv slash Amazon, and many of you do, we appreciate that. Recycle those. In fact, we've got a couple out. So excited to maybe get some reviews back in from folks that uh, that are using the the using those products. Remember, we buy them for you. You test them, use them, and then we. Uh, you write about them, or you come on the show and talk about them, and then you get to keep them. So a great way to get an honest review. That way you're not saying, oh, this Pebble watch is great, and I, I'm not going to tell you that I <laughs> that I got it underwater. Right. Uh, but we get good honest reviews on that as well, and so I appreciate you guys using that. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. A new one is coming out this weekend. Hopefully I'll get some time to write that. Some interesting stuff for you. Head over to theaverageguy.tv and just find the newsletter. Sign up. It's actually now available at the bottom or at the at the bottom of every audio post. So if you go out to look on any link and look at the audio section below that down below. Speaking of that, there's a new Clamor uh, link out there as well. If you haven't tried Clamor yet, this is something interesting. 18-second clips of audio that you can like and go back to, a good way to discover new content. If you want to do that, C-L-A-M-M-R is Clamor. We have a Clamor button. If you want to Clamor our show, and I encourage you to do that, you can do uh, you can clamor it right as you're listening to it. You just click the clamor button. It will automatically invoke a new window that will pull the audio in and give you automatic 18-second clip. So if you want to do that, head out to theaverageguy.tv, any of the posts, look for the clamor button that's there on the audio. I know most of you listen to this on your mobile device, but if you want to do it that way, it's a great way to do it. We are live every Saturday morning, or I am, with Dave Jackson out at AskThePodcastCoach.com. We're also live uh, uh, with Dave McCabe out on Wednesday nights, a home server show when we get to it, or Surface Geeks when we do that as well, so you can catch me over there as well. Don't forget, you can chat with me live during the week on Talk.to. So again, go out to the site, bottom right-hand corner, says Chat with Jim. Click on that. It'll ring me. If I'm here, it'll ring me, and, uh, and I'll pick it up and answer it. And I've actually talked to a few of you that way. Over the last couple weeks, we want to thank talk.to, T-A-W-K.to for that. You can sign up for a free account. So if you want to put that on your own website, you can do that literally. I don't know if it's literally, but I th- I think I remember about six lines of code. Mike, you tried it too, right? Yeah, it's a it's real short. Super yeah. simple. A couple lines of code, copy and paste it in, lots of controls. They got a great dashboard that just gives you, I mean, the reporting alone on the dashboard. Mike, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the, the reporting. I, yeah. It's as good as like a... Is like Google Analytics. It's easier to read than Google Analytics too, is oh. what I like about it. And yeah. what the code, you don't have to change the code if you want to change like the color of your player. That's what I really like. So changing all the settings on in your dashboard, it'll automatically send them over, and your website will be up to date. No more co- once you put the code in, you are done. Yeah. No, yeah. those guys have done so, some cool stuff out over there. So if you want to see a good example of it and look at the code, talk.to as well. Don't forget. Last thing before you forget. Go out, download the new app from either the i, you know, either from iTunes, from the iTunes App Store. Is that no? What do they call that, Mike? What is that store called? What's the it? iTunes? Is oh, it just the App called Store. I, is it just called the iTunes App Store? Is that what we yeah, call that? I just okay. leave out iTunes. Just the App Store. Just the apps. It's the. Yeah. It's the. It's like Kleenex. It's just the App Store. Yes. Right. So well, go out to the app. Not the best App Store. So. <laughs> Nicely done, and Nathaniel will back you up. <laughs> Right. on that as well. So when I use. <laughs> yeah. So go out to the App Store or go out to the Play Store and uh, available, not available on Windows Phone. Sorry about that. But you can go out there, download the app. A great way to listen live or if you've missed it, uh, you can go out there. All the all the shows are out there. Might be better than well. the podcast app at this point. It might be. Yeah, well, maybe we'll talk about well, that. Oh, yeah, because... Because just a warning, if you upgrade to 9, iOS 9, it's breaking everything, right? I mean, from the uh, iTunes, well, 
The iTunes app is having trouble. If you have a ton of podcasts in your app, it will break. Mine's fine. So for the if you have less than I'd say 20, I think you'll be per- perfect. I have like 16 shows in my app in my uh, podcast player, and it works fine. So, but yes, okay. there are issues with the podcast app on iOS 9. So if you use that every day and you don't want to lose it, maybe don't upgrade yet. And I haven't, to be honest with you. I'm still yeah, on eight. I think, you'll, I think you'd be fine. I'm just wait, so, I have a ton of podcasts on here. Use okay. the Apple Podcast app. Yes. yes. Oh, why well, not? The, the, well, yeah, if you don't use that, you're fine. Right. Some some folks have been saying if you have a lot of podcasts in any podcatcher, like uh, Pocket Cast or any of those, it, it was it was causing problems with those as well. So you just just be warned if you're on the iPhone, you could. Although it won't mess up my app. <laughs> well, and be ready for, I have a, uh, you know those little notifications? It says I have 25 new podcasts when I updated. I don't. That's just, they're not listened to, and I don't know how to clear them out. So there's this annoying new uh, way to look at them. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of the iOS 9 podcast app. A good reason to download Home Gadget Geeks podcast oh, app. Just so, uh, yeah. damn, just get it done. Right now, I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to end the show. You're going to stop it. <laughs> You're going to pull over. And then you're going to download the app from us. We'd love to get that thing popular. Tell your friends. It's a great it's way. It's price, too. It's very reasonably it's priced. free, and your mom could even listen to it. So I'd love to have your mom listen to Home Gadget Geeks. It would be awesome. We're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. I'll cut all that stuff out. At, you know I won't. <laughs> out at theaverageguy.tv slash live. No show next week. No show. Uh, I will have something for the feed, though. But no show next week, and uh, we're back on track uh, the week after that. we got a lot of good stuff coming up for you, including an anniversary show that's coming up here the 1st of December. So that's our five-year anniversary of Home Gadget Geeks, which used to be Home Tech. Bringing Andrew back, bringing Christian back. thats They're all coming back. We're bringing Sexy back. So you want to watch for those shows coming up with that. We'll say goodnight, everybody.